0: The last few years uh, that we've been uh, going to grads, Debbie and I have been giving out um, a, a, a gift book, and the book is um, by one of my favorite philosophers and theologians, Dr. Seuss, and uh, it's called, "All oh, the Places You'll Go. And it's, it's very appropriate. It says, congratulations, today is your day. You're off to great places. You're off and away. You have brains in your head, you have feet in your shoes, you can steer yourself any direction you choose. You're on your own, you're, you know what you know, and you are the guy who will decide where to go. And the, and the reason that I give this book uh, is because uh, it, it's given after a ceremony where a speaker has stood up and told the students that the only thing that limits them is their imagination. And, and they can climb to the stars and they can find a cure for, for any given disease. They can solve the nation's great social problems. They can become one of the fine artists or, or educators or business people. They can be the best ever if they put their mind to it. And and I'm not against that, but Dr. Seuss says that while that success is the direction, the, the, the destination, there is a process. And he says, he goes on in his book to say, you will hit heights, you will visit lows, as well as you will be challenged and tested at times lonely. All alone, whether you like it or not, alone will something uh, will be something you'll be quite a lot. And when you're alone, there's a very good chance that you'll meet things that scare you right out of your pants. There are some down the road between hither and yon that can scare you so much you don't want to go on. But on you will go, through the, though the weather be foul, on you will go through your enemy's prowl. Onward, up many a frightening creek, though your arms may get sore and your sneakers may leak. It's a fun, it's a whimsical way of preparing grads for the realities of postgraduate life and taking high schoolers and saying, hey, listen, there's a process in front of you before you start this thing of real adulting in a real world. And so as I was reading through Mark and getting ready for our uh, time together today, I realized that God has a process that takes us through some interesting places to get us to where he wants us to be, to get us to places that he's preparing for us. And, and God will expose us to, to some incredible experiences that are meant to shape and to build us and to, to fulfill the call that's on our life. And, and we're studying in the Gospel of Mark. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to chapter one. It, it is the first of four, the four Gospels that are written, and it's the shortest Gospel is, that is written. And we talked a little bit about it last week. It's commissioned by the Gentile believers that are living in Rome. And, and it comes at a time of turmoil and transition. The the pillars of the early church, the men and the women who who had established and, and put down the foundation, they're aging. They're not only aging, but they're starting to die off. And there's a new generation of leaders, and behind them comes a third generation of followers that has arisen. And, and, and so the, the Roman believers were facing a powerful persecution in the city of Rome at the hands of Nero that was absolutely terrifying. And so the elders of the church asked the younger man named John Mark to sit down and write all that he had heard, all that he had learned, all that he had observed through the life of Peter, his the man who led him to the Lord, the man who mentored him and prepared him and and brought him to a place of serving Jesus. They they didn't want to lose, these Roman believers, they didn't want to lose or forget the first-hand accounts of men and women who had had an encounter with Jesus. So John Mark, will you please sit down? Will, Will you please write it down so we have all of those words and can use them to teach the next generation how to love, how to serve, how to follow Jesus. And so that, with that in mind, Mark sits down with a pen and paper and he starts to write a gospel, a good news account of who Jesus was, what he taught, what his values were. And, and he writes it specifically for the Romans. His, his account is accurate because it complements and confirms what the other three Gospels say later. But, but it's unique. It's, it's written with a specific purpose. It's, it's sharp. It's, it's concise. It's to the point. And when you read it, there's some questions that you need to ask. You see, Mark's focus is always Jesus. And so in this portion of Scripture, as you're reading through Mark, what is Mark teaching? What what is he highlighting about Jesus? What what is the thing that Mark wants me to see? What is it that he wants me to learn, to adopt, to, to, to build into my life? There are details of the Gospels that he leaves out because they don't suit the mandate of his assignment, There are teachings that are given, that other Gospels give a lot of room to, that he leaves out because they don't fit his audience. His audience doesn't care. His Roman readers were strong in the area of common sense. And and so not so big on genealogies and prophetic fulfillment and Jewish dogma. They didn't really care about any of that. They were Gentiles. They wanted to know in their troubled time, how will God be my help? How will he be my strength? Will he be helpful in the places I go? Will he give direction in the things that I face? So Mark starts with, in chapter 1 where we are now, and he starts with the baptism of Jesus, Matthew and Luke. Include a lot of information about the birth of Jesus, how he was the prophetic fulfillment of, of words spoken by Jewish prophets centuries before. And, and John's gospel talks about him being at the beginning of all time. In the beginning was the Word, another name for Jesus was the Word. And, and he existed, he's always existed, he always will exist. But John says that's not important to my audience right now. And he starts with the baptism of Jesus. So with me, go to Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 9. One day, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. Other other Gospels include a whole lot more details about this significant event. They talk about who was there, what was said, Mark, Mark says, I, I want you to understand the, the, the process of Jesus as he lays out a process, a pattern for your spiritual growth and maturity. John the Baptist was out in the wilderness calling people to prepare the way, to get ready, to, to get your heart, your mind, your spirit ready to receive the Messiah. And the way that you do that, John the Baptist said, would be to realize that you're a sinner, that your sin has alienated you from God. And so you need to confess your sin. You need to acknowledge that you're a sinner. You need to repent, John the Baptist says. Determine, God being your help, that you will not live in rebellion to God any longer, but that you will follow Him wholeheartedly and declare your allegiance to God by being part of a baptismal declaration. A story of death and resurrection told in the waters of the Jordan. I enter into the Jordan River as a sinner, representing my life before I met Christ. I die to my selfish ambitions and my self-centered ways. The old me is buried, never to be brought to life again. And because of Jesus, I come out of the water a new person. Old things are passed away, and I am a new being. A public declaration of of allegiance and devotions that follows a private transformation. But Jesus is sinless. He doesn't have to repent. He he, he doesn't need a Savior. He is the Savior. So why is He being baptized? What, What is it that His baptism means? What does it teach us? His, his whole story is marked by obedience. J- Jesus asks that we obey all that God requires and he leads by example. He acknowledges that he is a servant of God and, and that God has required that, he be, that we be baptized. And so Jesus comes out of this little town, this meaningless little town that isn't talked about anywhere in the Old Testament or in any of the, the, the books of his time. It's, it's just a spot in the road that nobody really cares about. And he comes out of this this town called Nazareth in the the region of Galilee, And, and he's baptized in the river Jordan. The story, that story, that verse that we've just read, is 16 words long. Eight of those words describe the places that are involved, two of those words describe the time, three of the words describe who was involved. And one word describes the action baptized. That's all we know. He was baptized. Short, concise, to the point. And, and, and a few of you are thinking, boy, Pastor Bill, I wish you'd go to the Mark School of Conciseness because you could use some shortening up there. But Mark is just, just sharp and concise. But he spends some time on the next part of the story, verse 10. As Jesus came up out of the water, He saw the heavens splitting apart. He saw the Holy Spirit descending on Him like a dove. And the voice from heaven said, You are my dearly beloved Son. You bring me great joy. You bring me great joy. There's so much significant information in that, that little those two little verses. Theologically, we have Jesus in the water, we have God's Son coming out of the water, and then the Holy Spirit comes from heaven. It descends on Him in the form of a dove, and we have the voice of the Father making declaration. And, and, and that's an important point to see as we, we understand Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together in unity. How, however, Mark has a purpose in telling the story the way that he tells it. The question again is, what is Mark teaching us about Jesus? What is he wanting us to see from the the good news that he's sharing about Jesus? You see, Mark wants us to see, to understand that obedience to God is always acknowledged and is always rewarded by heaven. It, it, it was a very visceral experience. At, at a precise moment, heaven's open, Holy Spirit arrives and is seen, and a voice identifies, uh, identified as God's voice speaks words of blessing, words of affirmation, speaks to the identity of Jesus. Obedience is always rewarded. God the Father sets the standard for fathers everywhere, for parents, for leaders... We are a people who are to love others like God loved us. And on two specific public occasions, once here at His baptism and once on the Mount of Transfiguration, God the Father says out loud, says publicly, this is the Son that I love. This is the Son that I love. He speaks into the identity of Jesus. Obedience is always rewarded. If if, if it was important for the perfect father of heaven to speak those words to his son, about his son, then take cue, parents. Speak your love. Speak your your joy, your pleasure, your blessing over your children. There's a generation that has come that that for many different reasons don't say, I love you very often, if ever. And that happens for many reasons. It could be that they were raised that way, but but God says there is benefit, there is strength that is added, there is life that is imparted to children who know the love of their parents, who know the love of their father, who have their identity established in being a child that is both loved and having a purpose. And God does that for Jesus. You are loved, you bring me joy. I'm delighted. You you wonder if if Jesus is who he said he is, the son of the living God. This is what the critics are saying. There there are Pharisees and Sadducees who are doubting that he is the son of God. And and you wonder if Jesus is who he said he is, the son of the living God. You doubt it, you Pharisees, you, you, you Sadducees. You mock his claim. You argue theologically. So let me confirm significantly and supernaturally at the beginning moment, Of his ministry, he is the Son of God. And so that statement was made for his critics. However, I believe that it was made for the sake of Jesus as well. You are mine. You're my son. You're deeply, perfectly, completely loved. You bring me great joy. You bring me great joy. You know, we all like those words spoken over our lives. It, it, it's significant when, they, when somebody says that to us and i believe that before we go into any difficult time any time of testing or trying any any challenges in our faith that if we're listening god will speak of our significance of his connection of our own that we're owned by him that we're watched by him let it be known at this moment in time that i am connected to you the father says not just for an event or for a moment but for the entirety of your mission And for eternity. My love will never be removed for you. If if you just stop reading at that point, you miss an important part of the statement. Oh, the places you go. Oh, the places you go. There is obedience, there's divine supernatural encounter that imparts truth, courage, identity, purpose. And then verse 12, then the Spirit compelled Jesus into the wilderness. Mark's so good at saying what he means and saying it quickly. The the Holy Spirit of God who guides Jesus and is later given to us as a teacher, as a comfort, as a coach, and is said to guide us into all truth, he compels, he drives. It's the same word that is used in the Bible as expels Jesus from where he is into the wilderness. It's the same word that that is used later in in Mark when Mark is talking about demons being cast out. They were expelled. They were compelled to leave. And and he uses the word because he wants to emphasize two things. The, The first is that in the process of preparing Jesus for his mission... There was an encounter that forces of darkness had to to have input into. Jesus understood that he had come to free mankind from the tyranny of sin and from the horror of Satan's rule. And so you start where the trouble is centered. You, You go and you meet your enemy on his territory. You state your case. I'm here to destroy. I'm here to decimate your illegitimate rule and reign, Jesus says. You, you, you don't avoid your enemy. You take up the offensive. And that's exactly what Jesus does. The, the wilderness is the picture of what happens to, to territory that's ruled by our spiritual enemy. It's dry. It's arid. It's, it's fruitless. It's uninhabited. It was thought at the time of Jesus to be the, the residence, the place where evil dwells. The second reason is that we often think that when bad things happen to good people, that perhaps those good people aren't as good as we thought they were. They must have done something wrong to be in that kind of trouble. If I run into difficulty, I must have done something wrong. God must be mad at me. He must have lifted his hand of blessing off of my life. But that's not necessarily true. Jesus says that in this life, you will have many tribulations, many difficulties, many struggles. You are my people and you're living in a world that is opposed to who I am and what I stand for. So you're going to get some kickback. James says, count it all joy when you fall into different kinds of trouble and temptations and difficulties of all sorts and kinds. Paul says, you don't fight your fight against flesh and blood, but you wrestle with powers and principalities that are seated in high places. You see, Jesus hadn't failed. He was directed. He was driven by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness for a purpose, for a confrontation that needed to take place. He's armed with a clear sense of who he was in God. I am his well-loved son. I live under the smile of his approval. I, I bring him joy because of my obedience to him. Those things never change. I go continually to the next place I'm led to go, be it good or be bad. Oh, the places you'll go. The places you'll go. Verse 13. He goes into the wilderness where he is tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals and the angels took care of him. Mark, again, does not emphasize the words of the specific temptation that Satan brings to Jesus. He he does that for a couple of reasons. First of all, the the Greek or the the Gentile uh, audience that he's speaking to have no association, have no context. They don't know what the the temple looks like in Jerusalem. They don't know the significance of taking Jesus to its highest point and saying, why don't you jump off and see if your angels will protect you and, and deliver you. They, they have no understanding of the significance of, of bread in the Jewish culture. and And so taking stones and turning them into bread to satisfy your hunger, it doesn't get mentioned here. And there are people that are being persecuted for their faith, so so they don't see, they don't understand the value of being offered the rulership of nations. They're struggling just to survive, just to hang on till tomorrow. And the second reason that Mark doesn't speak of the temptations that Jesus faces is that the temptations that his audience are facing are different they're real, they want to quit, they want to walk away. Nero is, is bringing fear and chaos to the Roman church. He's, he's getting Christians, he's tying them to poles, he's covering them with tar, he's planting them in the dark streets of Rome, and he's lighting them on fire as torches. He, he's arresting them and taking them to the Colosseum and, and feeding them to the lions as, as sport and entertainment. Mark focuses on four common issues that were in this story of Jesus that are going to help the Roman people. The first is, in the desert, Jesus was tempted by Satan. His enemy has come to destroy. There's no good in him. He, he, He is... He is diametrically opposed to God and he will do anything and everything in his power to destroy the works and the purposes of God. And Mark says, understand who your enemy is. Recognize that there is someone who's coming at you, not because of who you are, but because of whose you are. He hates you. He wants to destroy you. Understand your enemy, Satan. The second thing Mark emphasizes is the length of the temptation. Tempted by Satan for 40 days. Now, if you're a history major and you're talking about decades or centuries, 40 days is just just a few drops in the bucket. But when it's measured in days, when it's you that's going through the, the, the trial, the temptation, it's a long time. We're in day 22 of this new year. And doesn't it seem like New Year's was a long time ago? It, do you remember what you got for Christmas? That, that, was, that was so long ago. And, and 40 days from the first of the year, that, that takes us to February 9th. That seems like a little ways down the road. You know, if if we can just make it till next Sunday. He's 40 days in the wilderness being attacked by his enemy. No matter what you're going through, Mark says, I want you to know this. I want you to know it's not forever. There's only so much that God will allow. And then he'll stand up. I, I, I want you to know this. The conquering king is about to bring a breakthrough. And the longer you wait, the closer the breakthrough. Forty days, he says. That's an important thing for you to understand, Roman church. Roman believers, I know that you're in a dangerous place as well the the third thing that mark's points that mark points out to you and to me and to the church there is that it was a dangerous situation he he says jesus was out among wild animals he's not in a comfortable hotel room looking out a picture window at them he's where they live he's where and 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 he's hungry and he's weak and he's tired and he's vulnerable he could be easy pickings for a, for a hungry animal in the desert. And, and Mark turns to his Roman readers and he says, listen, I know that you're in a dangerous place as well. I, I, I know... That your witness and your faith in Christ could cost you your life. I I know that you're serving in one of the most difficult, one of the most dangerous cities on the face of the planet and that your enemy is vicious and that the time has been long and that the sense of being vulnerable is very real. You feel like you're ready for the pickings. You don't know what will happen next. You don't know who will be knocking at your door to arrest you. You, you are living in danger. And, and Mark says, I acknowledge that. However, he says, I want you to be assured of this. Jesus in the wilderness, tempted by his enemy, exposed to the cruel, enemies, or cruel elements and vulnerable to hungry animals. He, he brings out this fourth point. God is overseeing and he's invested in the outcomes of your life. It says, angels took care of Jesus. I don't understand all about angels. I don't comprehend their work and how they do their work. I, I, I've never seen one. I've told Jesus on several occasions I'm opening to, open to seeing angels and to have that experience. I have felt their intervention at times in my life. But, but I believe in the work and the mission of angels. I I count on their attention being focused on me, on my wife, on my children, on you as my church family, as you go about your duties and, and your responsibilities. Quite often, I will pray what David writes in Psalm 91 over any one of or all of those groups. If you make the Lord your refuge, If you make the most high your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home for he, God, for God will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up in their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample on lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. Mark says to Roman believers, you have an enemy that has been going at you for a long time and has made it very dangerous for you, but know this, angels have been dispatched to watch over you, you to, to protect you, to, to wherever you go, whatever you do, they have will hold you up, they will preserve you, God is involved. And I speak that over you today. I, you who are thinking you will never see the end of what you're going through, it might be pain, it might be crushing disappointment, it might be hardship of, of a unique kind, known only to you, but He has ordered His angels to watch over you, to protect you wherever you go. Our family right now is walking through territories these days that we've never been in before. And, and we've never understood, we've, these, these times have been challenging at moments, circumstances have been attempting to shake us to our very core, shake up our faith, but I have been praying over our day and over our circumstance, help us to understand that you have ordered your angels to protect us wherever we go. And I'll tell you, I walk through the day a lot more relaxed, just knowing I'm not alone. God's eye is on me and His angels accompany me. I fully expect to be moving one day and somewhere up ahead is somebody and my angel bumps them out of the way. Oh, the places you'll go when you surrender, when you obey, when you follow Jesus. The important part of this scripture is the rest of the gospel is not written in the wilderness around tempting that takes place. It's not, it's not written about dangerous circumstances, although there are places where it mentions that there are purposes for all that God allows in our life. There are values added everywhere that he leads. There is strength that is imparted to us every place and in every person we encounter. I grew up on the music of a black gospel singer named Andre Crouch. And quite often, you'll hear me singing or humming or uh, his music because it had such an impact on me. And there's, there's one song that you'll quite often hear. He writes a song titled, Through It All. And in that song, there's this one verse. I thank God for the mountains, and I thank him for the valleys, and I thank him for the storms he's brought me through for if I'd never had a problem. I wouldn't know that God could solve them. I'd never know what faith in God could do. Every storm has a purpose. Every problem has a solution. Oh, the places you'll go. Oh, the places you'll go. So Jesus comes out of the wilderness and he comes out having overcome his enemy's attempt to disqualify him from the work that he's about to do. And now he enters into his his purpose. Verse 14. Later on after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. Prophets of old, 700 years before, pointed to a Messiah who would bring good news to the world. At the birth of Jesus, there were signs and confirmations given to Zechariah and to Elizabeth and to Mary and to Joseph, to the shepherds, to the wise men, through, given through Simeon and Anna, that Jesus was here for a purpose. That he had a call on his life. So that all began 700 plus years ago. And and they watch him grow up and there's still no sign. There's still no evidence that that's what it is. However, there were delays and there were confusions and there were difficulties and there were turmoils. There's spiritual battle that's fought on the desert floor. And John the Baptist, sent by God, is now arrested and eventually martyred. And from a strictly human perspective, it doesn't look like there's a plan. From, from our view on the ground, it doesn't appear that God is in control. It doesn't feel like there's victory in any breakthrough kind of way coming. But as much as Jesus was driven by the Holy Spirit into the desert at the right time, which happened to be soon after John was arrested, Jesus goes into Galilee and starts to declare the good news. In fulfillment of all that, it's the beginning of a new day. It's the dawn of a new morning. And one of the comfort verses in my life has been a verse that's found in Galatians chapter 4 that says this, In the fullness of time, At the perfect, precise moment in history, God sent His Son. And it comforts me because although I I have a watch and I can tell time, I don't always know what God's timetable is. He, He leads... He guides, he, he opens doors that no man can close, he closes doors that no man can open, he, he appoints the time when we go into the wilderness moments, he decides when we emerge to fulfill the call that's over our life, but I might not understand all that's going on in the time that he's operating under, however, he knows what he's doing. He knows where we fit. He knows and has an excellent sense of when things should be released and when they should be closed down. He knows. He's all-knowing. No surprises. No lack of understanding. He knows. He's the beginning and the end. He knows the start to the finish. My, My life was recorded in a book and has all the details listed before I was even conceived. He knows. In the fullness of time, at the right moment, the season changes for Jesus. From lonely wilderness existence to being in Galilee, declaring the kingdom of God has come. We live in a land that's so mixed up about time. Yesterday, Debbie woke up and she said, It's going to be really nice today. We should go for a walk. So we got in the car and we went down and we wandered around. Uh, down by the river and thinking, this is like summer. And just about the time the trees are starting to wake up and say, hey, you know, maybe it's later than we thought. Maybe we should get some sap flowing. The snow comes. And we're not sure, are we in winter? Are we in spring? What's going on? We can be like that, but Mark says to the Roman believers and says to you and to me, have faith in the timing of God. Jesus goes into the Galilee region and says in verse 15, the time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins. Believe the good news. Debbie, come. He, he, he says, this is the time. 700 years ago, Isaiah said there would be a time, and you've waited, and you've waited, and you've waited. You've doubted. You've, you've complained. You've questioned. You've worried. You've, you've wondered. But the time promised of God has come at last. The kingdom is near. He says, now it's time to deal with your sin. It's time to believe that what God said is true, not for someone down the road, but for you. Understand that the message is good. Don't, don't give up Roman church, Mark says. Get ready. Nero will not always be on the throne. He will not always be able to cause trouble for the church. Breakthrough is coming. The timing of God is impeccable. Get ready. Deal with your sin. Believe. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready, he says. And I believe that that's what Mark is saying to us. That is the news for us. There is a call on your life. There's a call on my life. There is a reason that we are here now. I keep going around all all the time just thinking, as true as it was for Esther, I have been, you have been, we have been brought to the kingdom for this time. God didn't make a mistake. There was a season when I grew up thinking, I wish I had been alive in my grandpa's time. So many neat things happened in his life and ministry. And I just, you know, I was born in the wrong time. But I now know I've been brought to the kingdom for this time. The kingdom is near. God is stirring something up. God is doing something. There's a reason that you're going through all that you face right now. He's wanting to speak to you. He's wanting to prepare you for places you will go. He's wanting to prepare you for the things that you will do. He's wanting to strip away the things that hinder. He's wanting to transform the way that you think. He's wanting to clothe you in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's wanting to prepare you for the places you'll go. He's wanting to establish you in your identity inside of Him. You are, are loved by God. You are a son. You are a daughter. He delights in you. He wants you to experience that delight. He wants to download the authority of heaven into your life. He he wants to prepare you. Mark is going to prepare you, and he's going to prepare me for the places that he takes us. I encourage you to be reading through the book of Mark. Mark. I I encourage you a couple of times as we're going through it just to sit down. It takes about an hour to read all the way through the book of Mark and then to go through it again and again. Just take bits and pieces of it. Take it thoroughly and, and slowly and thoughtfully. Allow God to speak to you because as He does, hope grows. The times might look chaotic right now, but God is in charge. Hope grows. God has a process God has a purpose. Mark chapter 16. We'll get to it eventually. But Mark chapter 16. Mark takes the goal of the people called by God. That that, that name the name of Christ in their name. They are Christians. Christ ones. It's for we who believe. How many believe? Okay. Here's the norm. Here's the norm. These miraculous signs will follow you because you believe you will cast out demons in my name you will speak in new languages you will be able to handle any danger whether it's in snakes or or drink any poisonous things that are slipped into your drink and it won't hurt you you will be able to place your hands on the sick and they will be healed that's what God's preparing you for that's the norm of the kingdom because you believe these signs will follow you. The process is of God so you will be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. He's building. He's he's testing your obedience so that when He calls you, your, your natural response is, here am I. Send me. He's wanting to affirm your identity so that in the midst of the battle, you know whose you are and where you belong and that the smile of God is on your life even in the midst of the battle. He's wanting you to be confident. He's wanting you to be competent in battle. He wants you to be aware that breakthrough is coming. I know some of you are so sick of me saying that, but hear it. Breakthrough is coming. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. It's coming. He's aware that you operate in danger and in difficulty, and that is why He's dispatched His angels to watch over you. You you wonder why you are where you are right now, why you face the difficulties that you have, why you're in the discouragement that is in front of you. And Mark says, church, trust His leading. Trust His leading. Trust His preparation processes. He's getting you ready. Oh, the places you will go. From victory to victory. From glory to glory. Will you stand with me? This morning you're here. You might fall into a couple of categories. One or more categories. You're in the midst of the most difficult struggle that you've had in quite some time and you're not feeling God, you're not sensing God, you're not hearing Him say anything. I believe this morning that I've spoken with a prophetic voice to this church. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. Open up your hearts, open up your minds. Get into the Word. Say, God, what is it that you're needing to do to me so that I'm ready? What's the process I'm going through right now so that I can go to the places you want me to go? You might be in a situation where you just, you're, you're so overwhelmed, it just feels like you're numb. And in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come and we're just going to pray. We're going to lay hands on you and believe that whatever it is that's hindering whatever's causing you doubt whatever's causing you fear whatever's causing you that numbness will be lifted off and that the fullness of who he is will be revealed to you in a brand new way there's some of you who say I I like what you say pastor I think maybe, maybe you're in season with this word but how will I know? How will I know? And here's the thing. This is what I love most about God. He speaks to you in your language. He he speaks to you uniquely tailored to who you are, where you're at, what you're facing. There isn't a one-size suit that fits us all. He, He tailors it. And if, you, if you're in that category, then I want you to come in just a moment and we're going to pray with you too. And then the third and final category is either you've never asked Jesus to come into your life. You've, you've never said, hey, I'm a sinner. I acknowledge my sin. I want everything that comes between me and you to be removed. And so I'm asking you into my life as my Savior. If that's where you are, then I want you to come and and just tell the person who comes to pray with you that that's where you're at and they will pray with you and they they will make sure that when you leave, you leave knowing you are a son or a daughter of God. Okay? And so we're just going to give you a moment. If, if you fit into one of those categories or all of those categories, then I want you to come. Come quickly. Don't worry about what other people think. We've been praying for this moment. This is an important time for you. This is your hour to make a decision to get a breakthrough. So you come. Don't, don't worry about it. You just come. You just come. Can I have somebody come over and pray with this person? Anybody else? And as Shan's praying with this gentleman, I want want to pray for you. Father, in my heart, I am so grateful for the book of Mark. Because Father, I believe it's a a story written specifically for us at this time in this church. And that you were saying some very interesting, important, life-changing, life-shaping things. You're calling us to get ready. You're you're calling us. You're telling us that what we're going through right now isn't going to happen forever. It it, it has an end. There there is a terminus date in place. That there's a breakthrough that's coming. That, Father, You have given Your angels charge over us. That, God, we're, we're being ministered to by and protected by divine messengers that You've sent for us. And so Father, as we read through Mark, I'm asking that you would wake up every spirit in this house, every, every heart in this house. Make our minds come alive. Make our hearts come alive. Make our spirits come alive to what God is saying to the church. God, you have made promises and we are standing firm on the promises. Oh, the places you will go. Oh, the things you will see. Oh, the things you will experience because you are obedient to my will and my way. God, I'm asking that you would release healing today. So many folks are are ill in our family. So many are in pain. And I'm asking right now, God, be released as healer in this house. Let the river of your healing flow through this place. Let life come where there hasn't been life. Let pain-free existence come where pain is dominating. God, do amazing things. We thank you for the things you're doing, but God, we're asking for more. We're asking for more. God, keep us in the center of where you're going, center of what you're doing, God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Thank you so much. You're dismissed with one another, greet one another, find somebody that you haven't met and meet them.